You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to November's 1865 Forest Ramble podcast, or as they say in Denmark, hi. And uh, I'm here with a cup of tea, a packet of ginger biscuits, and also the delightful company of Tom Newton, Stephen Toplitz, Baz and the Maradon in the Midlands. And we are talking about a month in which Forest have gone from having zero wins out of four to having three wins, three draws and five defeats. So it's been a month of progress under Chris Hewson. And Baz, I'm going to start with you um, in terms of the Hewson appointment. I think we all welcomed it. Do you think he's managed to stop the rot? Yes, uh, he's definitely turned something around. Um, as he said, uh, after one of the games, I can't remember which one, the defensive solidity seems to be back a little bit. Um, and that's what we needed start off and then obviously we're starting to get some wins now um I'm particularly pleased to see Lyle Taylor in the team and doing so well at the moment he seems to be hitting a little run of form which is a, a really good thing um there were still obviously problems in the side um we saw that the other day um but I think he's definitely made a decent start you must remember what a low ebb he started with the uh, the team started and when he joined um we we couldn't defend and we couldn't score goals and so um, we saw the impact straight away after the first um, international break. All of a sudden, they looked organised again and, and got that fortuitous winning goal um, in the last minute at Blackburn. Um, there, it's not going to be perfect straight away because he's, he's a training ground manager and they haven't had any time on the training ground really so far. So I'm hoping uh, this international break will see another marked improvement after after we come back. Um, we can see an even even better Boris side. Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to, nice to have you here. Um, you. We started with a uh, a win over Blackburn, which although it was caught, you know, is in stoppage time, it was a deserved win against a Blackburn team who were flying high at the time and are still doing all right now. Um, how important was that victory? I think it was 
very important because it's early in Chris Hewton's uh, tenure, <clears throat> excuse me. So it was important to get that first win, um, etc. Then it's been a bit of a work in progress, and this is the two wins in the past week have come at a really critical time because, like um, Baz has just said, um, you can basically on the training pitch he can um, come across like these are my ideas and basically this is really important because it's like it's been said he hasn't hardly had any time it's been basically game 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 recovery and that and hardly any um time on the training pitch so i think it's coming to a really important um time and his record it's not too bad i mean he's got this a lot to work on but he's got something there to work on it would have been like an absolute disaster if he only got like one draw in the previous few games he's had. But yeah, this time it's massive that he's got the two wins, then he's got two weeks to get the players on the training ground and hopefully we can kick on from here. And Stephen, coming to you, um, obviously the uh, most recent period of matches was bookended by wins, but in the meantime, there were still some bleak moments and... um, Obviously, <laughs> a lot of people who uh, had, had had their heads in hands after defeat at Middlesbrough in a match, I think it's fair to say, that had few chances. Yeah, it was one of those games that Forrest were probably looking at with 18 minutes on the clock and happy to take that point away. And then, obviously, they concede and it just didn't look like they were going to come back and, and get anything from the game at that point. Um Obviously, there's, there's been plenty of positives since Hewton's come in, but we did, still did have that bad habit of conceding the first goal and making things difficult for ourselves in games. If it wasn't conceding the first goal, it was getting players sent off in the first half, like Yanni at Luton. And it, we were just giving ourselves a bit too much work to do to win games. But the two most recent games, I think, have been definitely been an improvement with the Coventry game, an example of coming out and taking the game to the opposition early on, which we hadn't really been doing all that much. Um, We were kind of only playing when we'd fallen behind. And then Wickham was one of those games where Forrest had to dig in, but also had to perform as well and show their quality and and get the three points, which ultimately they did on the day. And those six points now give Hewton a real boost going into the international break where he can hopefully work with the players a bit more and, and get some more of his ideas across. So, I mean, yeah, ideas is important. We've all talked about how Chris Hewton is a training ground manager, um, but you also commented there, Stephen, about uh, that, that soft centre. Um, Married on the Midlands, I'm going to come to you on this one because um, conceding soft goals is quite a hard habit to shake, isn't it? <clears throat> Um, I'm not sure if it's that big a problem. I mean, the only, I mean, the one up at Middlesbrough was was Christie switching off, and he's sort of been responsible for most of the goals we've conceded. He's he's looking really good going forward, but defensively, he he looks a little bit suspect at times. Um, before that, we had sort of penalty against us, a brilliant free kick against us. Um, the, the the where where it sort of suddenly starts to surface was against Luton, where every single set piece we looked like we were going to concede. We were just like complete chaos for some reason. Um, but, but I mean, apart from that, I'm, I've not been too worried about the defence. I mean, from open play, we generally look fairly comfortable. E- even the Middlesbrough game, I thought the reaction by some people 
was was ridiculous. But for the majority of the ga- that game, we were very comfortable and looked like we were going to grind out uh, a good away result. In fact, when they scored, I, I was thinking we, we're going to snatch this maybe in the last 10 minutes. So I'm not too worried. I think it's there. The defence solidity is there. I think you're always going to make the odd mistake. Um, Christie, as I said, is maybe the one area of concern, but he, he might improve as the season goes on in that aspect too. Well, I mean, I would say that um, uh, we were tagged into a uh, post by Championship Ballers. Uh, they said that there aren't many better right-backs in the league than Forrest Cyrus Christie right now. Only Max Ahrens has created more chances than him this season, while Christie ranks top five in clearances, interceptions and aerial duels won. Um, Baz, to come to you, I'm a bit surprised to see how good he is at defending because uh, I agree with Maradon on the Midlands and that I think he's, he's looked a little bit suspect defensively, a bit of a headless chicken. And, uh, you know, from the bits that you've seen, what would you say? After the Blackburn game, I think it was the Blackburn game, I said um, he looks like a winger who's playing out of position because when he's going forwards, he wants to take on his man. He does all the little drag backs. He tries to take it around him, takes it inside, does all the tricks and stuff like that. And then because of that, I think... Uh, he might be really good defensively, but because he does all that bombing forwards, he's out of position and he's not in. He's not ready to defend a lot of the time. I think he's certainly, definitely one of our biggest attacking threats at the moment. So maybe it's just we need to put some sort of cover in for him to deal with the fact that he's going to be bombing forward like that. And and Tom, I mean, we have seen that Christie is really good going forward, and and the cross he put in for Lyle Taylor um, against in yesterday's match. Um, for the first goal, was just a, a, an absolute peach. So, I mean, in that sense, he, he is a bit... You can see why they signed him to fill the Matty Cash-shaped void. But what do you think about the, about the right-back? Um, I agree with what's been said. I think he, he's pretty good going forward and he does fill that void of um, with Matty Cash, um, his quality going forward. But I think he is a bit suspect and defending. But I think it's just the um, problem with the modern-day right-back these days. They usually failed wingers, really, aren't they? Uh, so, basically, it's a matter of, yeah, they're great going forward, but defending, they're, they're really suspect. It's not like a Stuart Pearce, et cetera, who can, like, uh, smash into a tackle. The bit, as soon as they're facing one-on-one with the opponent's winger, the, the let crosses come into the box, they don't get tight, but going forward, they really are an asset. So I think it's just a problem, not just for us, but I think it's a problem for like a lot of clubs with the modern day fullback, how they're set up. Say you play like with wing backs, the bomb forward, then as soon as the ball gets recycled, they're out of position. And I think that's just the problem how football is at the moment, to be honest. Stephen, I mean, I think we've kind of said what there is to be said about Cyrus Christie, but on the other side, uh, we've had a, a a period of matches where uh, Nicholas Yanu was first choice until he got his red card. Um, there's some debate about whether it should have been a red card, but I think ultimately there's no point appealing it because you're not going to win the appeal. Um, and that saw the return out of the cold of Gaitan Bong and then the return out of the cold of Yuri Ribeiro. Talk us through that. <laughs> Uh, we've had quite a few uh, options at left-back this season. If you go back even further, I think Tyler Blackett started the season as the left-back. It's been um, been a good bit of rotation in that uh, position. But yeah, Bong returning from the bomb squad and back in for the Middlesbrough game and actually wasn't 
too bad. I mean, it's far from being one of the worst players on the pitch to consider he hadn't played a competitive football for about six months. Um, and obviously somebody that Chris Hewton knows well from his days at Brighton. So perhaps it was perhaps it was obvious that if, if Bong was fit and ready to play that Hewton would give him a go, particularly as Hewton then confirmed that Ribeiro was carrying an injury. Um, I know a lot of the conspiracy theorists out there were thinking that there was bigger things at play with Ribeiro, perhaps something going on behind the scenes. But um, it, it appears that he was just carrying an injury still and he needed a bit more time to to shake it off and, and get ready to play. And obviously he's been back in the team now for, for the last two games. And um, yeah, he's, uh, to be honest with Ribeiro, I, you almost don't need to worry about him because he adapted so well to championship football last season that you know he's going to come in and he's going to perform for you. He's, solid defensively but he's also good going forward and, and contributing to the attack so I'm pleased to see Ribeiro back in there and um, nothing against Bong, nothing against Yanu but I, I do think still that Ribeiro is our best option in that position. And marriage on the Midlands, as the person in this group who doesn't really do social media um, so you might have a bit more of a sense of detachment compared to all the furore about about our left back options uh what's been your opinion um I thought Ianu looked good going forward but defensively again he, he looked a little bit weak to me he looks like he just stands off the uh, attacking players a bit too much and then d- does have that slight tendency to lunge in and give away silly free kicks um Bong from what I could see, he had a barely standard game as a, as a left-back, as a championship left-back. It, was, it wasn't terrible. He, he did a decent enough job. Uh, just, just people just sometimes... I, I heard the reaction on, on Radio Nottingham from people who were sort of tweeting into them and Facebook messages, and it? it was just, just embarrassing, some of the stuff, really. And Ribeiro, yeah, he's he's a good player. He's, he is a good player. I think maybe Ianu looks a little bit better with the ball going forward, getting good crosses into the box. Uh, but defensively, I think Ribeiro is slightly stronger. So um, a tough choice for him, for Chris Hughes to make in the next game. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, and this begs the question, and this has become slightly less important now than it was maybe a week or so ago when I was thinking about it. But Christy and Yanu have both proven that they're, they're decent again forward and they've both got a decent cross on them. Um, but Tom, just to ask the question, did we need to sign Cyrus Christie and Nicholas Yanu when we had at left back Yuri and Blackett and Bong and well, as it turns out, Bong and on the right hand side, we've got Jenkinson and Dariqua. Are those, was it worth spending money for options that are arguably not a huge amount better than what we had before? Um, possibly not. No, um, but my, my argument's been this summer, because of obviously what's happened with the coronavirus, etc., is the players, and to me, some of them don't look fit. They're like, I thought in the Coventry game, they were like struggling a bit and um, when they were like, had the um, upper hand. So I can see why they've, they've hardly had a pre-season. I can see why they've had a big squad. A lot of people are basically saying, oh, why we've got a big squad. But I think it's because of the... Um, playing the games on a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. I can see that, but I think um, with the strategy of what the club had, cash went, and I think it's a matter of like just get like for like, and Christie was 
available and I think they went for him and then I think um, with um, Yanu I think the club thought Ribeiro is going to be going somewhere possibly Olympiacos it didn't happen then obviously you've got the problem of having about um, three or four fullbacks for each uh, side you see so it's, in hindsight you probably look at it and think no we didn't need that many but I think it's just how it's happened and and I think he's quite the choice of who he can play there. But first and foremost, I think Christie, despite his um, his defensive uh, frailties, I think he is the strongest right back we've got. And Ribeiro, as Stephen's just said, I think he is so um, our strongest fo- uh, left back. So I reckon with the two um, fullbacks we have mentioned, they are the strongest who should be playing week in week out, injuries and fitness um, provided. So. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, having discussed fullback, shall we move to centre back? Because Scott McKenna has very much made the left sided centre back place his own. He was aided a little bit by injuries to Joe Worrell and to Tyler Blackett. Um, but as soon as Chris Hewton came in, he dropped Loic Mbeso and he's put Tobias Figueredo back in the right sided centre half position. What do, you, what do you make of Toby's performances? Yeah, I think he's been okay, but at times we we've all we've have looked a bit ragged, and him him included. Uh, the, the Coventry game, especially, he sort of his, his head just seemed to go at one point. Um, but that maybe is down to tiredness. Maybe it is due down down due to lack of fitness. But I've, I've got no worries about him. I think he, he's going to do a good job for us whenever he's in. Um, I and mean, it'll be interesting to see if he keeps his place when Morrill is fit, but um, we'll, we'll worry about that when that happens. Stephen, do you think that um, Mbeso can feel a little bit hard done by, or do you think it's Hewton just going, we've got a defender here who's a little bit, who's got a couple of years' experience in the Championship, and so we'll give Toby the nod? I think that's exactly it. Hewton bringing in that experience to almost steady the ship because he needed to address the problems that we had at the back and he probably felt that that Toby was the more experienced option and was probably in a better place to you know to play and I don't think anybody so did anything particularly wrong I mean the Huddersfield game where he played I thought he was he was pretty solid and if I'm honest there's been a few instances in recent games where Toby has looked a bit shaky there was the the incident against Coventry where he sort of fell over looking for a foul and it almost led to a goal and there was an against Wickham as well, an incident where ball drops into the box and he he didn't know whether to just put his foot through it or clear it or wait for Samba to to come and collect it behind. And there was a few shaky moments I've I've seen with Toby recently, which it does make me wonder if if and when Worrell is fit, whether he might get the the right-sided centre-back place alongside McKenna. And actually, I'd quite like to see how the two of them would get on and, and how they'd form a partnership. Yeah, I'd say so. I think that there, there might be an interesting balance there. But for the time being, with um, Toby and Scott McKenna, we've got two kind of who, when they're at their best, they are head it, kick it centre halves. Um, so I think what we've seen is that when Toby's not at his best, you just get that moment of hesitation and that leads to him going down or just failing to, just hesitating ever so slightly. So, um, Tom, I don't know what your thoughts are on our best combination at centre-half. Um, 
With Figueroa, I think um, at the back end of last season, his just form just totally dropped off. This season, he started the season how he finished last season. He's got a bit better, but I just think he's sometimes he's a bit of a liability. I think he's a bit rash. He goes for balls what he shouldn't go for, and then that bit of hesitation. So, um, but um, I think when Wall's back, I think number one centre back partnership will be McKenna and Wall because I've really been impressed with from. Well, and no disrespect to the players who have done it in the past, but players who come from north of the border take a bit longer to settle in. But I think he, um, McKenna looks like a centre-back who's played in the Championship for a good few years now. I think he's been excellent for us. Um, so um, so I think, yeah, when Wolves fit and ready to um, come back into the fold, I think that will be the two uh, centre-back parents who will be playing week in, week out, in my personal opinion. OK, and just to come back to you on this one, Stephen, um, McKenna's shown a little bit of a, an inclination to try and bring the ball out from the back. And um, I think Loic and Beso showed that as well. Joe Worrell shows that as well. Um, so do you think that that's one of the things that could be an asset um, when Worrell's fit and available again? Definitely. I, I think that, that kind of play from your centre-halves, it helps to put you on the front foot a bit more and uh, and start off attacks. And I think especially when McKenna's been, been coming out of defence, it's kind of helped us push five to ten yards further forward as a team and just make us, uh, make us play a little bit further up the pitch. Whereas I think sometimes under Sabri, we perhaps were a little bit too deep or that was probably, a, you know, because of how Sabri wanted us to play, soaking up pressure and then counter-attacking. Whereas I do get the impression that Hewton while he still wants us to be defensively solid, he's trying to get Forrest to play a bit more on the front foot. And when the opportunity is there to attack and to score goals against teams, Hewton wants to set us up to do that. So, uh, yeah, I think having those options at the back who can bring the ball forward and are are comfortable bringing the ball forward, um, I think that could be a really important part of the way we play. Uh, and marriage on the Midlands, uh, just coming back to uh, that situation about, you know, Toby not being quite as quite as sort of strong as he was, that, that kind of mental hesitation. Now, that's something that we thought was a problem with with Joe Worrell before he went on his loan spell to Rangers. And that's something that Worrell kind of cut out a little bit. Um, if Toby's kind of having those moments coming in. Is that a sign that? Do you think that there's something in the rumours that, A, there's obviously a hangover from last season, but also there might be something in the rumours about him wanting to go back to Portugal? Maybe. Maybe his focus isn't 100% there and and you need it to be there when you're playing at such a high level. Um, but maybe he's just making mistakes. Maybe it's just, um, you know, mistakes do happen sometimes uh, without without going into a deep psychological analysis with him with sort of ink block tests and what have you it's hard to say but um uh, i don't know I'm, I'm not worried about toby at all i think he's 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 doing a decent enough job and uh we've looked strong defensively i think we're in looks okay I mean, the odd the odd cross goes awry and the um they'll make a mistake but everybody does that it's, it's let's not worry about it too much it's uh let's not read too much into it Okay, so Toby, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, uh, then do get in touch with the Marriage on the Midlands. He has a couch and he charges only £150 an hour. So uh, you can go along for a psychological assessment there. Um, Coming back to you, Tom, um, 
I guess in this case, though, it very much is. Uh, you have to trust the gaffer. The gaffer has chosen to put um, Tobias and McKenna as his first choice centre-half pairing. Are you happy to to trust him on that one? Um, I am, because Chris Eaton is obviously his remit and his qualifications are much greater than mine when it comes to football. So I think he's a matter, and he's been there, seen it and done it, Chris Eaton. So yeah, I do, uh, I do trust him, and, uh, and he sees these players on the training ground um, every day. So uh, basically, yeah, if he's thinks that's the, uh, the best uh, partnership at the moment, fair enough. We'll just have to um, back him. And I think there's a, um, I think with some Forest fans is that we've got to have a scapegoat. And I just hope that Figueredo doesn't come in to be the new scapegoat after, say, Ryan Yates, who has. So I just hope that they develop a really good partnership after the international break and um, the back, well, the centre-back pairing is as strong as ever. So, uh, but yeah, I just hope that we um, get a better understanding and then we get even more solid um, going into Christmas. Just to come back to you on, on this one, Stephen, um, one of our previous topics of conversation, uh, I think it was uh, way back when, it might even have been sort of in the first sort of few weeks of the season, we were surprised about how Michael Dawson uh, hadn't had a look in and we're saying well we could do with a bit of that a bit of that leadership and a bit of that kind of n- no-nonsense um, defending and uh, Hewton did say uh, in his press conference last week like well Dawson's actually been out injured and will hopefully be back after the international break um, would you welcome Dawson back into the squad even at his age and with his fitness record I think he's a, an important influence in the squad. He's, as a player, somebody who's played at the highest level and he, he's got the experience and we saw the effect that he he had on the team when he played last season. In fact, I would argue our most solid period of last season was when it was Dawson and Worrell as the two centre-halves. And even if he doesn't play, I think having him coming off the bench is potentially a very good option if even if we want to see games out and you just want to get an extra defender on there I think that might be now where we see more of Dawson but um, for his leadership for I think he's still got the quality as well I think for those those reasons he's he's definitely worth putting in the squad. Yeah and also I just think it'd be an absolute crying shame if his career kind of fizzles out and he doesn't he doesn't even get involved in the squad so it was kind of I was, I was reassured to see that actually he's not been involved kind of due to injury rather than anything more sinister. That seems like an appropriate moment to end part one. And uh, in part two, we will be discussing results and tactics and a few bits and pieces off the pitch. But first, it's over to Jeremy. We work really hard to put this show together and hopefully you enjoy it too. So here's the deal. Head over to 1865.football slash flatback and take a look at Flatback 4's range of forest gifts. Buy yourself something nice for Christmas and use the code 1865, that's 1865 at the checkout and you'll get a 10% discount and we'll get a little kickback too. Can't say fairer than that. The 1865 Forest Ramble Sketch by Jeremy Davis Frank Clark once said that Ian Wone walked too much for a footballer, so it's just as well he never watched Lyle Taylor take a penalty. 
Watching Taylor take his winning penalty last week against Coventry, you'd have been forgiven for mistaking him for someone out for his daily lockdown walk, who just happened to have stumbled across a bunch of lads playing football down the park and suddenly found the ball at his feet. There's been much talk this week of Taylor's penalty technique, which looked to me like a tribute to Forest legend Stuart Pearce's famous penalty in the shootout against Spain in Euro 96, including both the long, slow walk from the centre circle and the larrup into the corner. It's not a Forest thing, of course, as he was doing it well before he joined the club. So my theory, not for the first time, falls apart on closer inspection. Not unlike Donald Trump's complaints about the US electoral process. Some sections of the media have labelled it disrespectful. Penalties being possibly the last vestige in English football of the sort of Little Britain sniffiness about devious foreigners and their crafty ways that was supposed to have been dispelled by Jürgen Klinsmann's famous diving gold celebration. Or possibly Brexit. He's certainly not the first player to have an unconventional approach to penalty-taking. Listeners of a certain vintage may remember John Aldridge at Tranmere, getting a lot of similarly indignant stick from journalists when he introduced English audiences to the stuttering run-up, where he would start and then pause long enough for goalkeepers to dive out of the way before slotting the ball into the other corner. Then Ronaldo started doing it, of course, and it became cool, like Armani underwear and wobbly free kicks. Everyone knows about the Penenka. Who can forget when Andrea Pirlo did the dancing Joe Hart with one in Euro 2012? With Hart prancing about on his goal line like he needed a wee, the hipsters, footballing the equivalent of avocado on toast, took him at his word and proceeded to take the piss. English fans should be grateful that Taylor plays international football for Montserrat because this kind of thing never works in an England shirt. Even Gary Lineker, whose balls were golden before David Beckham's had even dropped, fluffed a Penenka against Brazil in 1992, which could and should have been his record-equalling 49th goal for England. Paul Pogba became briefly notorious for his baby steps run up to the penalty spot until he started missing them. And that's the thing about trademark penalty styles. If you miss, it's about 50 times worse than a regular penalty miss. Unorthodox penalty styles are like yellow boots or Steve McLaren's umbrella. They look great when you're winning, but you look a bit of a wally if you lose. And that, my friends, brings us neatly back to Donald Trump. Welcome back to the 1865 Forest Ramble. And in part two, we're going to be discussing a few things to do with on-pitch matters and off-the-pitch matters. But we're going to start with results. And Stephen, to, to come to you first, um, do we agree that, with the exception of the Coventry match, results have probably been pretty fair compared to performances? On the whole, yes. Um, Hewson's come in and only lost one of his first seven games in charge. So, on the face of it, that's a good return. And when you go into some of the games in a bit more depth, I think the the way that we beat Coventry probably made up for the way that we didn't beat Rotherham, where second half we laid siege to their goal and could, just couldn't find a way through. Uh, um, so things probably even themselves out with that one. Um, overall, when you look at the games and what happened in the game, so for example, Luton going down to 10 men, going a goal behind to come back and get a point there was, on reflection, not a bad result at all. Middlesbrough was nearly got a point out of that one and that wouldn't have been a bad result. So I think overall, you you look at 
the seven games so far under Hewton, I think it's a fair return of points. Um, and the, the two games against Coventry and Wickham this week, I think we all had it in our heads that we should be trying to get six points from those and things would be looking a lot rosier and, and we've managed that. The only thing really with the results is that we're still down the bottom end of the table and I would say that that's perhaps not a fair reflection of actually how the results have gone of late and the performances as well. Well, I would argue, as I have done every year since I can remember, that there's no point looking at the table before sort of end of November, start of December anyway, because, uh, you know, it's everything's all compressed. And of course, this year as well, you've had the added uh, added mystique of the Sheffield Wednesday situation. So um, I'm not overly worried about that. I think getting points on the board is more important. And bearing in mind, we gave the rest of the division a four game head start. I don't think that it's the end of the world that we're still in the bottom reaches of the table. But Tom, to come to you, um, in terms of performances, we started off with um, Forrest still playing a uh, similar kind of... Um, Hewton adopted a similar approach to what we had under Sabri. Um, but in the last, uh, you know, most notably yesterday's match against Wickham, we've seen Forrest playing in a slightly different way. And... Taylor and Graben up front against Derby didn't really work, but Taylor and Guerrero had a little bit more promise, didn't it? Yeah. Um, on Radio Nottingham post-match yesterday, they were going on about certain runs, what Guerrero and Taylor was making. I think Graben and Taylor were making similar runs, but yesterday Guerrero was going one way, Taylor was going another. And uh, I just think they complemented each other uh, really well. Um, Guerrero, we haven't seen a great deal of him, but I think he's one of those like clever players who is very aware of what's around him. And um, yeah, going forward, um, in the absence of Lewis Graben, I'd be quite happy to see Guerrero and um, Taylor play again. Oh, well, play together again because Guerrero like sl- um, slips into a bit of a deeper role. And in times, you know, when Graben's played. There's a big gap between the midfield and where Graben is, and you're thinking he's so isolated up there, but Guerrero's got that bit of intelligence. He will drop in, he will hold on to the ball, play others in. And yeah, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him, but I know, no disrespect to Wickham, I know they've only just come up into the league, but I think it was like a real good uh, performance on the pair of them yesterday. And um, so, I, well, I do think at the moment, uh, on form, Lyle Taylor is our number one striker. And I was going to just uh, just going to come to Married on the Midlands on that one because uh, Lewis Graben, obviously he's out injured at the moment. There was that rumour that he was considering a move to the Middle East uh, to rejoin Sabri Lamushi, who very much made him feel wanted. We know that strikers like to feel that they are the most important person in the team. Um, do you think Lewis Graben's going to be a bit a bit miffed when he does come back to fitness to find that Lyle Taylor has established himself as number one centre forward? Yeah, a little bit maybe. Um, I think there's uh, a thing in the Sunderland documentary that uh, where he got left out and he he didn't come across brilliantly well in that when he when he was out of the team. Um, so, but that's that's what you expect from your striker. You want them to be miffed, and especially when you're a, a, a big name striker like Lewis Graben, he he will want to play and expect to play. But it it bodes well for Forrest. It's we've got a lot of games coming up, so when he comes in. Hopefully he's fired up and fit and healthy and motivated to score some more goals. Mm. And uh, Baz, if you there, we, we just talk, touched upon tactics and you know 
in terms of Graben having been quite isolated under Sabri, um, we've now seen under Hewton that although the tactics have been fairly similar in principle, which is keep it solid, attack down the flanks, we've also seen that Forest aren't sitting as deep. It's one of the things I noticed, especially on the Luton and Coventry games, and I'm really, really pleased about it, is we we press very high up the fi- the field now. Um, in particular, it's something that Taylor does a lot of, um, but we've got the wingers doing that as well. And it's, it's basically trying to win the ball back in their third of the pitch, um, which is completely the opposite to what Sabri was doing. Sabri would let them come on to us and we wouldn't even start to press till they hit our half of the half of the pitch, whereas we're bringing the game to them and trying to make stuff happen in their their half of the pitch, which is a big change in the world. OK, we've just lost Baz there. So, um, Stephen, I'm just going to come to you with a bit of a theory that I saw on Twitter. So um, Paul Seven, who's a Forest supporter, who's up, involved in the Supporters Trust as well, but in his own personal capacity, he put something on Twitter, which is that penalty against Coventry could basically be the equivalent of conceding that goal against Derby. So while conceding that goal against Derby was a massive psychological blow, scoring that penalty against Coventry with the last kick of the game could be a big, big boost to the Reds for this season. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I think sometimes you just have those moments in football that sometimes you can't explain them and the effect that they have on a team, but that, yeah, the, the Derby game, for example, there's no coincidence that the form fell off a cliff after that, that goal went in. And then suddenly against Coventry, that the way that we won that game, the way that Taylor took that penalty in the 97th minute, so calm and so cool, to get a massive three points as well, which which it was, having been very much up against it for for the whole of that second half I think psychologically it could have a huge effect on this team and it it could be the the kind of result that just gets the season up and running at last and I think Forrest built on that with the the win over Wickham which was uh on the whole a strong and commanding performance give or take 15-20 minutes in the second half where Wickham did look like they could threaten particularly when they brought Akin Fenwer and Gareth McCleary onto the pitch, but Forrest, to their credit, defended well, particularly against Akin Fenwer and the kind of the uh, the disruption and carnage that he can bring when he comes onto the pitch. Um, Forrest dealt with that well and then got the second goal, a, a good goal from Taylor and his second of the game. And after that, it was pretty much the game was won and, you know, and it was a case of could Forrest add to that two-goal lead uh, but even though they didn't, it was still a good three points. And I'm hoping now that it's it's the start of some momentum that's being built. And once the international break uh, and they've had that two weeks to work with Houston a bit more, they'll be even stronger in, in a fortnight's time. Uh, Maradon, the Midlands, let's um, just talk about tactics again. Um you were very, very critical about the fact that Forrest under Sabri would sit very deep and just weren't able to use the ball very well. Do you see positive signs in terms of Forrest's midfield being able to be a little bit better at passing the ball to each other? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was really highlighted for me in the Luton game where we just had periods of sort of two, three minutes where Luton weren't getting a touch of the ball and that's just not happened over the past couple of years. 
we're sort of pinging it around. Um, even the centre backs were joining in. Um, Colback, Yates, they were all. I mean, I, I just didn't really think Yates was good on the ball until sort of these last few games, where he's actually showed that he can pass the ball and control it. And it just makes you wonder if they bothered practicing passing at all under Sabri. I just, I, I, I don't know. It just looked like they'd never passed the ball because he just it was so it's such a common sight. See. One of our players has passed the ball sideways out of play for an opposition throw-in. It used to, used to drive me mad. And just being that little bit further up the field, it just helps as well. You, just, you can get the ball forward a lot easier and quicker. When you're starting off from your own 18-yard blocks, it's a long, hell of a long way to the opposition goal. So if you're, if you're closer to the halfway line, it makes it sort of 30% easier to create more chances and, and score more goals. So... Is yeah, I'm, I've been really. I mean, I was really pleased with that Luton display. I thought we were unlucky not to win it, and I'm I'm very positive. Um, Tom, in the week you and I were having a quick chat about uh, about creating chances, and obviously we know what Lolly can do, but now we've added Anthony Knockart into the mix, um, and you were quite positive about Knockart's influence as a creator. What do you want to say about that? Um. Yeah, I think um, last season the onus was on like Joe Lolly to actually do something, and then teams cottoned onto the fact that he was our one of our greatest threats. So it's nice that you've got somebody who can compliment um, Lolly, take the onus off him, and create something from the other side. Then obviously, like you've got uh, the likes of um, Amiomi, um, Luke Freeman when he's um, when he's firing on all cylinders so it's nice to have that like um a few options but um yeah the last couple, um, couple of seasons it's like joe if joe lolly's not um creating then we're void of ideas but it's nice to have like somebody else who can comfortable on the ball and um and basically can put crosses in or pick out a pass for the uh, the strikers you see so uh, yeah knockout's a great um um transfer well loan signing for the club albeit it's only until january and hopefully we can extend it beyond that, because I do think it's going to be a real asset um, as the season goes on. Stephen, just uh, on that similar kind of topic, um, we've also saw in Hewton's first few matches, he was very reluctant to make substitutions. um, And there was some school of thought that that is to improve the fitness of the existing players, get those extra minutes into them so that they can build up that stamina. Um, but now we have options that Freeman, who to me doesn't look fit yet, but uh, Freeman can play a bit and Sammy Obi can play a bit and Lolly can play a bit um, and Knockart can play for a bit. Arta can come on for a bit. Those things are positive for Forrest, aren't they? If all of those players are getting minutes under their belt and, and easing their way both into the team, but also into fitness. Yeah, it is definitely. It's, it's, it's going to be a strange season. So in terms of, you know, we're going to have a lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Wednesday games, and they're going to come thick and fast as we've sort of seen already this month. So I think having players rotating and keeping themselves fresh is going to be important. And it was a factor after football returned last season that Boris didn't have that option available to them players were effectively burnt out in the final few games and it showed. So to have the options that we've got and to try and get minutes into those players' legs now, I think is important because 
that will hopefully make us stronger later in the season when, you know, there might be some fixture congestion because we we don't know what's going to happen this season. There might be another delay for all we know. Something might happen that, that pushes fixtures back that's COVID-related. So we've got to be prepared for that. And I think anything that gets the fitness of the players up at this stage could make us stronger later in the season. And that could be vital. Okay. Um, coming back to you, Marad, on the Midlands, uh, you talked about kind of training and what may or may not have been going on under Sabri. And of course, we'll never know. Um, we've seen Ryan Yates be set free a little bit as a box-to-box midfielder, which is what you and I have always said he should be. But uh, do you think in this couple of weeks that Chris Hutton's going to get him practising his heading and shooting? Yeah, yeah, maybe. He's been a bit unlucky uh, with one or two of them. But yeah, it, it's just it's just really good to see him unleashed. It was a, the very first game he played that I remember seeing him play was that West Brom away uh, when we were sort of had the victory stolen away from us by that controversial penalty. And he was just a revelation. He was just so full of energy. He was closing down. He was bursting to the box. Um, did he score a goal? I think he may have even scored a goal. But they so, were yeah. been close to a goal. Yeah. And he just, I didn't want to say it at the time because it, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to say it now, actually. I'm going to think, I'm going to leave it off. But there's a, there's a very famous Forest X, Forest midfielder who, who reminded me of straight away, just that sort of coming from nowhere, bursting into the box. Gary and, Megson. No, not Gary. And, um, he, it's just obvious that he's got the, that ability. You look at his body shape. It's, it's almost like a striker's body shape. And he's got that fitness and he can tackle and he can, and he's shown in the last few weeks he can pass the ball. And it was just, I'm, I'm, the more I think about last season, the more I get angry with Sabri because he just, he just criminally underused our squad. And he just put the shackles on certain players and he just really handicapped us. And we, we should have easily been in the playoffs last season. And we, it's just, it's such a shame what happened last season. And it's just, I'm, I'm so glad that these players have been given a chance to play their natural game and see the best of them now. Well, sobering thoughts there. Um, let's move away from last season and let's come back to this season. Um, Baz, you've talked in the past about how you, you know, you are a long distance fan. It's a 150 mile round trip for you to get to home games. And of course, it looks increasingly unlikely that we're going to get to any games this season. Um, do you think Forest have been helped or hindered by the lack of fans? Because it's easy to spin it either way, isn't it? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually I'm pleasantly surprised that the players in some ways seem quite unaffected by the situation. There, there's no... It, there was a period when, when the, we returned after lockdown where it felt a little bit like watching training matches. But I don't think I don't get the case that you can see that the players are really fired up and they're they're ready for it and they're up for it. Obviously we're then missing that thing for the final five minutes of a game where you could nick it, where you've got the fans screaming at you to, to plough forwards at every possible opportunity. I can remember um, and to go back to last season, to João Carvalho saying it's different in England because you get booed if you pass the ball backwards. And I could see a player like him then taking advantage of the fact that the fans aren't there yelling at him. Certainly from my point of view, it's nice that I get to watch the games that I'd probably otherwise miss that I wouldn't other, or even bother with. Um, but 
it is it's a very strange disconnected experience and i'm not sure i like it because to me the game is all about being surrounded by all these other people and having that one purpose around you and it's not the same having that one purpose in a whatsapp group or on twitter not at all yeah uh, and obviously baz you and i've gone to matches together for many many years and i remember you saying that one of your favorite moments and you, in fact, your favourite moment of the Billy Davis era was in that home match against Derby where Raddy Majewski scored that amazing goal in the first minute. And we were 3-0 up, then it was 3-2. And Billy Davis just came onto the touchline and he just gestured at the Trent end to make more noise. And that is exactly the kind of thing that we don't get now. And those are the moments when it feels a bit flat. Um, Tom, as a season ticket holder, you get to watch the matches on iFollow. I bet you're missing it, though, aren't you? Yeah, I am. It's just everything, you know, we've took it for granted. I mean, I'm 32 now and I've been going to Forest matches for like um, 25, 26 years. And just like the ritual of like meeting your mates at the pub, you watch like the lunchtime kickoff, you get to the city ground, you're, well, like 27,001 Forest to win and everything. And yeah, it just seems a massive disconnect um, at the moment. And Hopefully, um, I don't think it's going to be this season, unfortunately, but it'd be nice just to get to watching matches again. And I think everybody's just getting to a point where, obviously, you've got to follow the guidelines, but we just can't wait to get into a football match and get back to, hopefully, some kind of normality like it was um, before lockdown and before this uh, horrible virus. Toppers, as a season ticket holder, you have also seen the best and worst of... uh of Forest fans, there's times when the fans, let's use the Charlton match last season as an example, against Leeds, the fans were the 12th man, really got Forest through that match to get us to score that that last minute glorious goal with Tyler Walker in front of the Trent end, which was really probably the highlight of the season for, for many Reds. And then against Charlton a few days later, the team selection was flat, the weather was freezing, the, the ground was flat and the fans just couldn't muster any kind of meaningful support for a team that just couldn't get themselves out of first gear. So it can swing both ways, can't it? If you look at this season and a couple <laughs> of games recently, um, I think the Rotherham game, if there was a 25,000 fans in the city ground, I think Forrest would have won that. I think the collective will of the fans would have sucked the ball into the back of the net somehow it just would have the momentum Forrest had in that game if you'd have coupled that with the crowd getting behind them as well I think they would have won it even as well against Derby I think Forrest were the stronger team at time and perhaps they could have won that game as well so yeah I think we are missing that we, we are of course missing the atmosphere and the support of the fans in the stadium I know I'm missing it not being able to be in the ground week in week out watching and it's yeah it is a strange experience watching it on iFollow and you're kind of watching from afar and that's all you can do to to show you support really um so yeah I mean I'm like everybody else just can't wait for us to all get back in the ground and hopefully we're going to have you know a successful Boris team under Hewton waiting for us when we when we get back into into the football grounds Married on the Midlands, as somebody who maybe doesn't get to quite as many matches as you used to for various reasons, um, but we can relate to that fact that opposition managers used to say coming to City Ground, well, if you can keep the first, if you can keep the Forest team quiet for the first fifteen minutes, 
then actually the crowd will get on their back. So, but actually last season, before the fans got locked out, um, we actually saw the fans were 90% of the time massively behind the team in a way that we hadn't seen for, for many, many years. Um, they bought into Sabri and they bought into, uh, you know, the results, if not always the performances. So do you think under Hewton that would be more positive or less so? Um, it's. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's always going to be a positive to have have the fans there. It's just I think it will raise the um, the play of certain players. I mean, I look at Lyle Taylor, and I think if there was a crowd there, you'd get an, another sort of ten percent out of him, even more so than what we've seen. He's he's just got that natural air of a showman, that that swagger. That if if a crowd was there, you could see he he he'd raise his game even more. Even the same. Knockouts um, and players like uh, Yates would sort of be driven on by the trend end. So, I, I just the thing for me, just not away from Forest, is it's just been so difficult to watch matches without a crowd there. It is just sort of sometimes it's just twenty-two guys running around, and it just shows how important it is to have the have the fans there, and maybe how much we've been taken for granted down the years, and how much we've been exploited. The, the Premier League clubs have made billions on the back of having the best atmosphere in the grounds in the world. Um, I just remember watching Italian games over the last few years when there's like three men and a dog behind one of the goals. and You just can't watch it. Even if there's a good teams playing, you just cannot watch the games. It's just devoid of any sort of atmosphere. So going forward, hopefully the clubs will reward the fans by not fleecing them for every penny they've got. A lawn hope, maybe, but we can we, we can but hope. Um, I'm just going to move away from... Um, uh, from all of that, to talk about something, a footnote, I suppose, uh, on the season, and one that may have, uh, if rumour is to be believed, may have played into Yuri Ribeiro's hands, because the extra squad place that was being held for Grisicki, uh, some some people have claimed, and it is just rumour, that Yuri Ribeiro took that squad place. He might have been left out otherwise. And that is a squad place that had been held for Camille Grisicki. Um, Baz, Forrest have got a lawyer as their chairman and there's a strongly worded statement, but doesn't it just boil down to get your business done in time, send, set, press send on the fax machine in time, and then you've got nothing to grumble about? <laughs> Absolutely. 21 seconds and the argument was, well, it's still zero zero. <laughs> so that, that was, it's, it's not really good enough for that. Yeah, and so solid crew would dis- would disagree, wouldn't they? Twenty one seconds is a significant amount of time. <laughs> um, and on that on that topic as well, uh, Stephen, you'll have noticed that uh, there was uh, something about Grisicki being offered the chance to move to Olympiakos if Forrest hadn't been successful when he was there, and suddenly people started going, "Hmm, Thiago Silva, Yuri Ribeiro, even Andreas Buchalakis, if you remember him." Um, does this suggest that actually there's something amiss in terms of the governance of Forest and Olympiakos? I, I, the way I looked at it was that perhaps it was giving Grisicki an incentive to to join Forest in the first place. To we obviously know the quality that he has, and he probably would do a good job at Olympiakos. But I, I wonder if that was kind of some kind of bargaining ploy to to. Sw- the deal for, for him to come to Forest, but I suppose there is go- there is always going to be that link between 
Boris plays and Olympiakos. I think we've we've obviously been linked with players coming the other way as well. So, I mean, we're not privy to to the conversations and the way things are run, perhaps behind the scenes and and the conversations that take place. So, it's it is a bit of guesswork for us. But the way I looked at it was that perhaps it was, particularly with Grisicki, kind of a sweetener, an incentive to to get him to join Forest in the first place and and see where things go from there. Tom, I'm just going to come to you, and if we can keep it brief on this one, but you were involved in the early days of Supporters Trust, and obviously at the time that uh, the current ownership of the club came into uh, came into power. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts about that balance between Maranakis owning two clubs. He's got his own men in charge of Forest, including an English chairman, but a Greek chief executive. Is there anything there that you think we should be aware of that you that you know about um not really because I'm, I'm not part of the board level on the um the trust so i'm not privy to certain um, conversations but um i think i, th- I think here with their expertise as you can say uh, running olympiakos i think that the thought the buy into the english game and think it'd be a walk in the park like it sometimes is um, running Olympiacos, um, but it's not been um, that way. So um, no, it's just I think is things what they do. It's you look at it and thinking really it might work on the continent, but it doesn't necessarily um, work here. But I just think um, this summer in particular, I think they've just like changed tax and for well the European model is not really working. So let's go for the like the more trusted uh, English version. Um, but um, yeah, I just think. I think in the early days, I think they tried to like replicate what they did at Olympiacos and it hasn't really worked. So I think they tried to like took a step back, reviewed it, and then obviously we've got um, um, Chris Hughton in charge rather than um, a foreign manager. And I think they're going down the British way of doing things and just have to see how that pans out. But, um, but I know what you mean. Okay, and um, just so uh, for the listeners, uh, we're going to have a couple of interviews in the next few weeks. So we are going to be having a chat with uh, George Harvey, the football journalist, who's uh, doing a lot of work down at the city ground um, and with Forrest at the moment. And we're also going to have a chat with Elliot Stanley, who's the chair of the Supporters Trust. So we will be exploring those uh, those elements in a little bit more detail over the next few weeks, uh, as best as we can anyway. Um my next thing just on our on our agenda and just briefly um i've literally written in my notes lyle taylor what a guy baz what do you think about him i'm so happy to have seen him take a penalty for us because i just love that the, what he does there is absolutely brilliant absolutely and as as he's um maradona of the midlands mentioned earlier he's a bit of a showman and i i I think we've needed that for a little while. Someone who can just showboat a little bit and just say, like, even the run-up to the penalty, it was a, it was quite a soft penalty to get. He wasn't going anywhere with it. And yet, to make that sort of thing happen, we need a bit of that, and it's really nice to see. Married on the Midlands, as well as his contribution on the pitch, we discussed it after the derby match. He's so articulate. He's not the clichéd footballer interview, is he? No, he's, he's, a, he's a good listen. And um, he seems really sort of down to earth and connected to to real life. So it, it, it's a refreshing change. And, and just somebody who's actually willing to say something and just not speaking cliches. It's, 
it actually makes it worthwhile listening to the uh, the interview after a game, other, other than just somebody just saying, "Yeah, it was a good performance. We're disappointed, and this and that." So yeah, it's it's, it's a refreshing change, and uh, I'm willing to admit that I'm I'm coming round to this Lyle Taylor fella, and uh, I hope he's here and does well for a long time. And I would also add in there that uh, Taylor himself, going back to the uh, previous conversation, he said that it'd be so much better if the fans were in there, which again shows he's a showman. He wants to be there showing off. Um, Just very briefly, uh, just to finish off with, I ran a poll on Twitter and um, said, a difficult month for Forrest suddenly looks a lot better after a fortunate win against Coventry and three good points against Wickham. What's your prediction for the season? So 8% went for automatic promotion. 1% thought we were still going to have a bit of a struggle. 44% went for mid-table and 47% reckon Forrester got a chance at the playoffs I still think top six is on I think look at the manager we've got in and the players available to him I think there's a lot of quality in this squad and just given the experience that Hewton's got I think that that can take us a long way and given the start we've had top six would be a very good achievement married on the Midlands yeah top six definitely it's it's going to be difficult because there are probably about a dozen teams who think uh, they'll be in the top six and it's a very even division. So everybody's going to be beating everybody else. Um, a batch of injuries and tiredness, that's going to play a bigger part this season than ever before. But looking at the squad we've got, looking at the manager we've got, top six is still very, very realistic. And last but not least, Baz, final word to you on this topic. Well, the realist in me says, as mid-table, but actually, yeah, the fact that we've got this huge squad, which is very, very talented, which has a lot of championship experience in a season where injuries are really going to count and tiredness is really going to count, actually makes me think, yeah, we've got a really good shot at top six. Best we've had in years. Okay, fab. So thank you very much to Stephen Topless, to Tom Newton, to the Maradona Midlands and to Baz. And of course, thank you to you, listener, for joining us once again on the 1865 Forest Ramble. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.